Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Show Up Dad, the podcast where we explore the world of fatherhood and discover the strategies, insights, and stories that empower dads to show up for their families. I'm your host, David Mendonca, and today we have a very special guest joining us. But before we dive into today's conversation, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors for their support. The episode of the Show Up Dad is brought to you by Tallman Equipment, a leading provider of high-quality tools and equipment for the power line industry. Visit tallmanequipment.com to explore the wide range of products and discover how they can help you. Additionally, I'd like to give a special shout out to the Show Up That Foundation. It's an organization dedicated to supporting fathers in the journey towards becoming the best versions of themselves. Through their workshops, resources, and community, the Show Up That Foundation empowers dads to show up, be present, and make a positive impact on their children's lives. To learn more about their mission and how you can get involved, visit the showupdadfoundation.org. Well, today's special guest is Stephen Christmas. He is a dedicated journeyman lineman since 2017. Stephen is not only a skilled professional, but also a loving father of two amazing kids. He has a 16-year-old daughter named Briar and a 12-year-old son named Brayden. Alongside his wife, Nicole, Stephen has been married for 16 wonderful years. Join us as we delve into Stephen's journey as a father, husband, line worker, and uncover the insights and experiences that shape his unique perspective on parenting and life. Welcome to the show up, brother. What's up, brother? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, man. It's good to have you on, Steven, for sure. Oh, um, our- I appreciate it. I know, yeah, I know the last sure. couple of weeks trying to meet up have been hard, but I appreciate it. Yeah, no, well, we got you on, brother. But uh, I want to open up with kind of an icebreaker question, if you will, uh-huh. Steven. Yeah. Um, if you were a superhero, based on your line worker skills, what would your superhero <laughs> name be, and what special powers would you possess to conquer any electrical challenge? Jeez Louise. Um, dude, I don't know. Um, that's a good one. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. <laughs> um, d- like superhero, like one that's around, or make up one? Just Either make way. up one, brother. Yeah, I don't know. Batman always comes to my head, and I think it's because when my kid was growing, my son was growing up, I my wife mm-hmm. used to call me because my son was like a Batman fanatic, and I used to do the voice for him, and like mm-hmm. he would think he was talking to Batman. I mean, it was funny. I mean, I dude, he I he'd be like, "When can I come to your lair?" I'm like, "Dude, I can't, <laughs> I can't let people know where I live," you know. Uh, but, yeah. And it was like the funniest thing to watch. I mean, uh, dude, it's 
still like I miss those memories, you know, with that. But as far as line work, as far as superhero wise, dude, I don't know. This you and I've talked a little about this trade changed so much for me. Um, yeah, I guess I guess still Batman because like he always looked out for the the less fortunate, the little guys. Like mm-hmm. that was his life. It was you know you you watch the movies. It's like. He had the fame and fortune, but nobody knew that secretly he cared more about the little guys than anything else. And the guy and the people mm. unfortunate. And so he, I like that because it's it's true even in the line trade. Yeah, we 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 make really good money. Thank you, God. Yeah. Right. But no one really knows what alignment is until the lights no. go out. Exactly. Exactly. We're the we're the in a way, I mean I don't like using the word heroes, but the unsung heroes, I mean, in a yes. lot of ways we are. I mean, you know, I, and I, I've been there. I mean, I've been there when nobody thanks you, and I've been there when, you know, I've left a storm, and it's like you see those signs outside, and it's like it's it's humbling. Mm-hmm. It's humbling, and that's the one thing, like, I've always tried to remember is don't get it to your head. Don't get it twisted, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, but yeah, I mean, it is where we are unsung heroes. People don't really know what we are. Most people, when you tell them linemen, they think football. Like, yeah. Oh, and I'm yeah. like, no, dude, I'm a hundred. I'm a hundred. I'm a dude. I'll tell you straight. I'm five, seven and 130 pounds. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know how you can get that. I play football out of that, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> My brother, um, he's the one that got me into the line trade. Right. And, uh, yeah. I remember meeting him and he got out of this. I owed him money actually. Yeah. You know, I'd already done my military service and I had gotten a degree and I still wasn't making ends meet, man. And I absolutely yeah. hated, hated my job. Right. But, mm-hmm. uh, I borrowed some money from him and I was meeting up with him in this small mountain town. And, uh, he gets out of this huge four wheel drive, double bucket, you know, <laughs> truck. And he yeah, comes yeah. out with a with a dip in his mouth. He's got his line boots on. He's got a cowboy hat on. I'm like, what the heck do you do, man? And he's yeah. like, I'm a journeyman lineman, he tells me. And I'm like, yeah. what do you mean lineman? What is that? You know, and yeah. same thing. I was completely clueless to what he did, you know, and the rest is history, <laughs> you know? Yeah, m- mine's, a, mine's a little bit different. I mean, I fell into this trade. Uh, it was by my dad. My dad's a, my dad was a 35-year police officer and... I was a bartender and I had some medical stuff going on, which we can go into later. But I mean, um, I couldn't pass. I couldn't pass the physicals Mm. and I was bartending. My wife was pregnant and I was like, I need a career. And my dad's best friend was a, um, a troubleman for Edison on the transmission side. Mm -hmm. And so one day my dad calls me up and I was uh, always the kid that took everything apart. Like you gave me something as a toy. I took it apart just to rebuild it because I was bored. I was like, I yeah. want to know how it worked. That's the way I was. And um, so long story short, uh, my dad calls me up. I'll never forget. And he goes, all right, you got a pair of jeans and a long T-shirt? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right, tomorrow morning, 5 a.m., I want you to meet me at my house. I'm like, okay. So I got off work at like, I think it was like midnight, 2 in the morning for bartending. Ran mm-hmm. home, you know, grabbed my stuff and fell asleep. Woke up at like 4.40 and drove to my dad's house. My dad's like, all right, let's go. And we... We met his buddy, Randy. And so Randy goes, Hey, what size shoe do you wear? I'm like, I'm like, I'm an eight, eight and a half. He's like, all right, I got a pair of boots for you. Throw these on. He's like, we're going to see if you can climb the utility pole. And I'm like, and that was back in the day when you free climbed. So I yeah, just, yeah. so for, for him, it was just a plain skid. So I threw the skid on and he's like, all right, this is what you're going to do. 
and my first like 10 i got 10 feet up and i cut out and dude that fool was a savage he caught me with his shoulder and wow. he's like i ain't gonna let you hit the ground and he goes you you done i go hell no i'm like i'm ready to go again let's do this you know like i was like dude this yeah. is i get to and then after that he took me on a couple um couple job sites which is cool he let me dig holes he's like hey you want to see what this is all about i'm like yeah and so you know that was kind of like the rest was history for me but i I didn't have anybody in my family kind of like you i didn't really have nobody in my family that did this type of job yeah yeah no that's awesome man that that's crazy that you had that uh no fear of heights like that you know just Honestly, I, I contribute that to my daughter. I wanted my daughter, like I got to the point where it's like, I knew that this was a stable career. Uh-huh. Uh, bartending wasn't going to be stable. I mean, dude, I was working at a great bar. Don't get me wrong. I was work- It was down in Huntington off of uh, Beach and Adams. I'll never forget. It was in a bunch mm-hmm. of magazines. It was a Miami style bar. It was great. I mean, the owner was awesome. We were good friends with them. Uh, three of the guys that were bartenders were reserve um, officers. On the, at the time they're going full-time eventually but he called us up one day he goes hey i bought a bar do you want to work mm-hmm. for me and i was all like huh and dude this guy was like he was one of those guys that did spontaneous stuff all the time he's like hey i bought a bar they're like okay yeah you know and he he dabbled in some other stuff he was the main supplier for um for gp motors um as far as um bike racing so he was oh, their wow. main supplier so he it's not like he was he was a hard worker. He just like, my goal was that once own a bar and he owned a bar for about five years and I'll never forget. He's all like, Hey dude, I'll pay you guys. So you guys get other jobs, but I'm done. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. But it was yeah. like, he was, you know, and I ended up not working that, um, that far into it. I mean, it was only like two years before I got into the, um, going to climbing school and stuff, but yeah, it was wow. just, he was a good dude it was just a spur of the moment hey i bought a bar and we're like okay <laughs> you bought a bar let's go <laughs> all right i thought that was interesting that you said that it was your daughter right that motivated you yeah it, oh yeah it, it's amazing how as fathers right we are willing to put ourselves in in mm-hmm. uncomfortable positions to support our family right a hundred percent a hundred percent i mean growing up i mean i Dude, it was my mom, me, and my brother for the longest time. My um, mm-hmm. um, my biological dad was, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, he was not talk bad. He wasn't, he wasn't, he was young. He wasn't ready to be a dad. Yeah, you know, and I don't have resentment for that. I don't have, you know, anger towards him. Um, later on in life, my mom uh, met a great guy, and he ended up adopting me and my brother. And you know, in my eyes, he's my real dad. But I don't have any resentment yeah. towards my towards my biological dad. But I remember the struggles my mom went through, mm-hmm. and it was like I didn't want that for my own daughter. It was like whatever I can do, whatever I have to do, I'm going to do. Like, and I, at the, and like I said, at the time when I was bartending, I, that, I wasn't working just there. I was working in another restaurant, so I go work the restaurant during the day and then bartend at night, at least mm-hmm. four days a week. I was working double shifts, you know. Wow. Because I was like, I don't want my daughter to to struggle the way my mom had to, you know. I mean, and so that was my fighting force was like, all right, you know, I'm, I got, I got no other choice, you know? And I, yeah, that's the thing. Like, you know, you want to see the character of a man, see how he is with nothing. Yeah. You know? And, and that's the truth. Like, and you know, I thank God for all that. I mean, I think, I, I thank God. I mean, dude, I, I deal with regret. I deal with things in my past where I look back and it's like, it's hard to go, God, you can actually forgive me for this. 
Like, and I'm grateful mm-hmm. beyond belief that there's a God that loves us, that his son is the only thing that we have that yeah. as long as we accept him, that we got his grace. I mean, yes. that that's phenomenal. I mean, I, I, but I still look at myself and go, dude, I look back at some of my mistakes. I'm like, man, bro, you don't deserve forgiveness for that. I mean, mm. you know, and that's just me. That's the, that's the, the devil inside me that's saying, Hey dude, you ain't good enough some days, you know, and I'll be, I'll be brutally honest, bro. I, I struggle with that as a man. I'm 40 years yeah. old and I still look back and go, man, I wish I could have done things differently. But at the same time, I look back where I am now and I go, all right, God, I, I see where your hand played. I see how you played that effect in my life. Yeah. And it's definitely hindsight 2020, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I like you, I look back in my life and I'm like, man, I could have done this differently, you know? And, you know, a lot of times when we're going through it and we're in it, right? Yeah. We're praying for certain things to happen and then they don't happen. And then we don't see the big picture because God does. Right. And then when we're looking yeah. back and he actually sees us through that yeah. valley, we can look back and be like, oh, man, now I understand yeah. why you didn't allow this to happen, you know, or, or why well, you did allow it to happen. Yeah. You know? And vice versa. I mean, we also like I mean, I heard a great analogy that is like mm-hmm. the Israelites. They were only supposed to be in the wilderness like two weeks, but it took them 40 years. And why? Because they decided to try things on their own after God had saved them. Then they tried Mm -hmm. to do it on their own and it took them 40 years. And it's like, how many times do we do that in life where God's like, hey, bro, I want you to go right and you go left. And you're like, ah, darn it. Like, and you know that voice where you're like, man, I should have listened. Like, I shouldn't have done that. You know? Yeah. (laughs) And the older I'm getting, the more I'm like, all right, slow down slow down like uh, and there are times dude there are times in line work where perfect example three weeks ago dude and uh we were we had a um we had to change out a a open delta behind this river canal and it's weird they have Mm -hmm. water treatment trucks that drive through it all the time and dude i'm telling you as plain as day bro like i I've never heard God's voice, but I definitely felt the Holy Spirit tell me stop. And I got to this bridge and I stopped and I'm usually like, yeah, I'll go through it. And I got out and mm-hmm. walked the bridge and I'm like, dude, the bridge looks old, but you know what? It looks all right. It's wood beams. It's, and it looked like underneath there's steel. Yeah. So, but something inside me said, if you're going to do it, take it fast. Don't go slow. So I was like, all right, cool. So I buckled up seatbelt, which I'm very rare. Like usually when I get to job sites, I'm unbuckled. I'm, I'll just drive around. You know, and yeah, dude, I buckled that seatbelt up and I hit that bridge about 15 and then the back rear end of the bucket truck hit the bridge and I felt the the driver's side rear side start to tilt and I gunned it and I called the foreman and I, and he's like, are you all right? And I'm like, dude, you need to get over here now. I go, bring me about six cones, get me some caution tape. And he goes, what? And I go, dude, that bridge you sent me over almost collapsed and he got back over there and took some photos. He's like, dude, you would have been dead. I'm like, yeah, because it was about a, it was probably about a nine foot drop and it would have tilted my bucket all the way up and probably flipped me over on the side. Oh and man. It was like one of those moments where I was like, and I even said to him, I'm like, dude, that was God a hundred percent. Like mm-hmm. I, it was a hundred percent. Like, <laughs> cause I couldn't turn yeah. around. There was no way of turning around. I would have had to reverse the bucket almost a mile and a half through this canal to get to where we need yeah. to go. And I'm like, and it was tight cornering and trying to reverse is a hundred times worse than driving forward, you know, especially yeah, in a yeah. truck like that. 
So, and I was by myself and it was getting dark. So I was like, dude, I was like, all right, God, like, thank you so much. Because it could have been <laughs> a lot worse. Oh yeah, for <laughs> sure. You know, that's definitely, uh, a, a perfect example of God's, uh, God's grace, you know, yeah. and man, <laughs> that's crazy, dude. I, I can't even yeah. imagine that dude, you know? Yeah. But, I'll, uh, have to get, I'll, I'll get that photo. And I'll, I'll text it over to you. Cause it, it was pretty bad. That bridge underneath you saw the, the two by, I mean, there were four by eights that were just like split. And I was just like, wow. and he even, he's like, dude. Yeah. So, <laughs> man, that's crazy. Now we're talking about faith and stuff like that, right? What yeah. ways does your faith or spirituality influence your approach to, to work and life decisions now? Some days good and some days bad, bro. I'm human. I, I dude, I've, yeah. I've, you know, um, I try to show more grace. I'd say the older I'm getting, mm -hmm. um, I went through LADWP's apprenticeship. So in 2008 is when I went through, um, East LA skill center. Okay. Um, I applied to Edison. I dude, I applied everywhere and I, I'm very passionate about this part of what I'm going to say, because my wife is always like, dude, you are really good about this, but I don't, I just credit to the fact of my parents, but, um, 2008, I went through East LA Skill Center, a great program at the time. Um, Robert Straub, Estrada was the instructor. I loved it there. Um, mm -hmm. Got out, applied to Edison, got put on the waiting list because at that time, the stock market had crashed. They were like, they froze hiring and they're getting rid of their meter readers and they're just allowing them, which is fine which I'm totally supportive of. Hey, if you guys want to go to the line side, go ahead or another department, go ahead. So it got frozen, yeah. went to um, PG&E. Dude, I am not the best test taker. PG&E's test out of anybody's was the hardest and the and not the hardest test, the hardest testing I've gone through. Mm -hmm. Because theirs was, and I don't know if you've taken it, but theirs as an apprentice was, uh, to get in the apprenticeship was timed. So hmm. you, they give you like for the math section, they give you a hundred questions and you had five minutes to answer as many questions. Oh, wow. The second you tell me that my brain shuts off. Like, yeah. it's almost like my brain doesn't, it goes into overload. Like, holy crap, I got five minutes, you know? And at that time I didn't know how to deal with stress management. And that's yeah. the one thing I love about line work is line work has taught me stress management. But at the time, <laughs> dude, I didn't know what I was getting into. And all of a sudden like, Five, and you know, five minutes when you're doing something can go like that. It's like, yeah. snap a finger, like, holy crap, it's already over. Like, it's done. Dude, and I walked out of that test and I called my wife because I was up in, uh, we were up near, I want to, uh, somewhere south of San, uh, San Francisco where we took the test. I remember calling my wife and going, babe, I failed that test. And wow. so I went and worked in the, um, so a buddy of mine was working in the oil fields. And so I said, all right, I'm going to go work in the oil fields. And dude, I took a job. I was like, it was non-union. I was like, but mm -hmm. I needed something. And yeah. um, so I did that for about two years and kept applying everywhere. And just God wasn't opening that door. And then one day my dad's like, hey, have you thought about LA? I was like, mm -hmm. you know what? I looked online and I'm, I was like, all right. I took the test and I still walked out feeling unsure. And I, yeah. and I was uh, like one of those things where I was like, I was kind of shocked to go in. I was like, all right, cool. You know, they, they called me up. They're like, Hey, you passed. Uh, we want to offer you a job. 
And I was like, all right, cool. Thank you so much. And I didn't have to go in as a ground and I went straight in as an apprentice because they counted all my hours. And I yeah. tell guys that I go, dude, everything you do, no matter if it's union or not, I go take the job where you can. And I go, and I knew like, and the cool thing with LA was now it moved me instead of being four, uh, three to four hours away from my family, we were two hours away. And to backtrack, a lot of what made me start having that motivation was, um, in Bakersfield, um, where I started working for the non-union, my wife, we, we, my daughter was about two and a half at that time. So she, mm-hmm. from about six months till about two and a half, we were in Bakersfield. And then at, um, three and a half is when I finally got hired by LA, but three months prior to that, my wife had my son Yeah, and my son was born. Everything was fine. And about two weeks later, I come home from work and my wife looks like a ghost, like in her face. And I'm like, babe, mm-hmm. you don't look good. She goes, I don't feel good. I'm like, all right. So I grabbed the two kids. I rushed her down the hospital. And dude, it was it was scary, bro. I had two under five kids in my arms and the doctor's looking at me and saying, hey, dude, her white blood, her white blood cells had quadrupled. They're attacking her red. We think it's leukemia. And I'm like, oh, hey, dude, and I just lost it. I called, I dude, I had my parents were four hours away. I had no family, mm-hmm. and I had it. Was it was by the grace of God that my foreman answered the phone. I called him up and I said, "Hey, dude, this situation." And dude, out of out of everything, he dropped everything. He he took his kids to his grandparents' house, grabbed his wife, drove to the hospital, took my kids, and was like, "You take as much time as you need. Don't worry about it. Family's more important." You know, and thank yeah. God it wasn't that. Um, my wife had had some, um, without getting too descriptive, but she her milk ducts had clogged up, and they actually yeah. had to do surgery. And so, luck, oh. thank God. But I mean, dude, it was one of those times where I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like when that doctor says that, I'm like, I'm sitting there thinking the worst. My wife's going to die, and I'm going to be stuck with a four year old and a newborn. Yeah. And- I don't know what I'm going to do with my, you know, all these thoughts are yeah. racing through your head. Like, <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so LA was a blessing. We got closer to family. Um, LA was great. Um, I, um, there was a class, I was in class of 30. Um, and mm-hmm. they're actually 35, five were underground, four were overhead. Um, at that time, LA split. You had, you could choose depending on your test score. If you scored high enough, you could go straight into underground. If you score, if you didn't score so high, they put you on overhead. Or if you scored high enough, you could choose. So they let me yeah. choose. So I chose overhead. The reason I did was at that time, overhead was only one at that time. If I remember, if I understood right, they the underground guys got a cable splicers card. Overhead got a journeyman card. So mm-hmm. I knew possibilities of me staying in LA forever were slim because I wanted to get closer to my family no matter what. So I was like, yeah. I'm going to go overhead. They've changed that program since now, since then, uh, as of like three years ago, it went to an EDM, which is an overhead and underground, which I think is awesome. Yeah. But um, yeah. So during my apprenticeship at LA, it was, it was different. I mean, I kept my head down. Uh, that was the one thing in, and I say this, I say this with all seriousness. Well, there's 30 of us and only seven of us journeyed out. Wow. LA is very good about making their program hard, but mm-hmm. you learn really well. And the one thing I loved about LA was we're di- they're a dinosaur company. 
you climb yeah. 99% of your poles. As, a, as an apprentice, you don't touch a bucket until you are fifth step, which that's their that's their final top out. Fifth step, because it mm. goes 1A, 1, 2, 3. No, wait, 1A, 1, I think it's 1B, B, uh, and then it's a 3, 4, and 5. 5 is top out. So you won't touch mm-hmm. a bucket to your fifth step. And they were strict about it. They're like, no, you haven't earned your bucket time. You're going to climb. And I thought that was awesome. Like the rigging that I got to learn. I mean, I was trawling poles, trawling transformers up and down the hills in LA helicopter yeah. sets. I mean, dude, it was a great place to learn. But the the atmosphere was, was it was strict. It was really strict. I mean, and yeah about two years prior to me getting there they had some guys some journeymen that got in trouble and hey dude i mean we all do you know we all know guys that make mistakes not not saying that you know it's right or wrong but journeymen make mistakes but i mean it was yeah it was tough being an apprentice there i mean you always felt like you were on the chopping block i mean graded daily you had a one through five grading you were hoping for a three because three was meat trade standards and you didn't want anything lower than a three and you never want anything higher than a three because then they would like expect perfection out of you, you know? Yeah. And so, um, but by third step, I, a buddy of mine was going through the same thing I was. And I think a lot of it was stress. I mean, that watching your buddies just get ran out and, you know, I'm not saying that they didn't deserve it. Not saying that they did. Some of them I felt didn't deserve it at all. I thought, you know, and other guys, they just yeah. did deserve it, you know. But um, I, a lot of the stress started weighing on me of like every day. Like I was told my wife during that apprenticeship, I remember coming home going, "Dude, I don't know if I want to keep doing this," you know. And I yeah. and there are some great guys. There are some great guys, you know. And a majority of them are really good guys. They really do care. Um, I think ninety nine percent of linemen actually care. I think we hold that mm-hmm. that stigma of like, hey, we're we're tough, but I mean, majority of us really do, I believe care. Um, and so I started going through some medical stuff, didn't know it was wrong, fought through it. And by fourth step, I just, I was like, I had no energy. I was my, I didn't feel right. Um, I ended up a couple times in front of my wife, just, I would be sitting down on the couch and I'd pass out. And my wife's like, well, wow. what's going on? Like, so we started seeing doctors and they couldn't figure out what's going on. I, I did every test under the sun, every test. Yeah. And it was one doctor I'll never forget in Pasadena. He was a younger guy. And I said, look, I'm not taking medicine. Cause they tried to put me on caffeine pills, all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, I'm not taking it. I, I yeah. not that I'm against medicine. I think medicine's good for certain things, but I go, if it, it's gotta be a last resort, the very final straw, if this doesn't work if none of this stuff works then i'll go to medicine um mm-hmm. so <clears throat> like i said i found a great doctor um it was one of the last tests and he goes I, um, my doctor's like i'm gonna send you to a cardiologist let's see if we can figure out something because they thought it's either the brain or the or the heart so yeah found this cardiologist great guy and he goes all right but here's what we're gonna do we're gonna do a stress test on you i'm like all right cool what what's that and he goes, well, you're going to walk for 10 minutes. You're going to jog for 10 minutes and you're going to sprint. So I was like, all right, cool. So I walked for 10 minutes. He goes, all right, we're going to jog. All right. We start jogging for 10 minutes. And then he goes, all right, we're going to do a full sprint. And he starts bumping it up. And I go, how long do you want me to run for? 
And mind you, I've got a heart monitor on and everything. And he was amazed. He's like, dude, you're, you're at a full sprint. Your heart rate never got over 140. Most people start hitting 160, 180. And I was like, yeah. well, I ran cross country in high school. I mean, I've, I was an avid runner for the longest time. Well, mm-hmm. the scary part was, is not the test. When I got done with the test within five minutes, my heart rate had dropped from 140 all the way down to under 40. And then I hit 27. And the last thing I remember was him yelling, grab the crash cart. He never had to use it. Wow. So he looks at me and he goes, dude, my only option is get a pacemaker. So I was like, all right. So I look at him and say, dude, I've got literally a year left till I top out. Can we postpone this? Like, or mm-hmm. am I going to die? He's like, you're not going to die. I don't think that's the problem. Your heart's strong, but let's, let, let's just keep you monitored. So I kept it quiet at work and I had a great foreman at the time who I remember coming back cause I had told him what was going on. And, um, he saw me climb a pole. He was one of the phases over there and he drove out the drop site and he yelled at me. He's like, get off the pole in other words, in nicer, you know, in stronger words. Yeah. And I go, no, you're going to have to come up here and get me. And he goes, no, I'm telling you right now, get off. I go, nope, you're going to have to come get me. And so I finished the job, climbed down. He's like, Hey kid, I care about you. You need to take care of yourself. I'm like, all right. And he's like, I already told these guys to keep an eye on you. I'm like, all right, cool. Appreciate it. So six months go by and I'm about six months away from, um, from topping out and things are going good. And I get a call from my mom. I'll never forget this day. Cause dude, it, it still gets me. Um, my little brother, we're 14 months apart. Um, uh-huh. he was a, he was a police officer and he got, um, pushed into a pool it was during that party all the kids were um growing up in a cop family like when you go to pool parties usually a sergeant or somebody will tell you which cops getting thrown in the pool and your goal as a kid is to make sure he's got his phone keys wallet everything on him it's like so the they don't know who's going in but you as a kid do yeah well my brother got <laughs> picked well, he got pushed in and they kids didn't realize he was in the shallow end where they pushed him. So when he went, when he fell, he went head first, hit his head. Oh man. So they get him out of the pool. They look at him like, um, you look like his eyes were all messed up. They're like, let's get him in. I think he may have a concussion. They found a two inch, um, brain to uh, tumor on his brain stem. So I'm at work at this time when they find out. And I'm working in Northridge and I get a call mm-hmm. and they're like, you need to get to hospital now. I'm like, Oh my gosh, what's going on? All right, cool. So doctor asked my mom, they're like, um, he's like, Hey, does he have any brothers? And my mom's like, yeah, he's got one biological. And, the, and my mom's like, why? And she's like, well, we're, and they're not sure still to this day, but it's a genetic mm-hmm. disorder that either affects the heart, the liver or the, um, heart liver or the brain. I had the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, the, so I had the heart, he had the brain and my mom, and he asked my mom like, Hey, what's, what's, is anything medically going on with this son, with your other son? And he's, my mom's like, yeah, he's having a heart problem and they're trying to figure mm-hmm. it all out. And so he's like, all right, well, good. They're trying to figure that out, but we think it may be this. And the thing with it is that it doesn't affect you. The thing that like, if it is genetic, we've never really, the only way to find out is to find my biological dad. And my brother and I both, like my, my adopt dad was cool. He's like, if you want me to find him, I'll find him. I'm like, no, I don't care. Like, I don't, it's not even worth it. Like me and my brother both yeah. on the same page. Like, no, it, it, God wants it. If this is the way our lives are supposed to be, it's the way it's supposed to be. And I'm okay with that. 
Um, but they ended up doing surgery. My brother did die on the operating table. But the one thing I respect and love out of that doctor was he already knew. So like yeah. when you go into brain surgery, I didn't know this. It's like 99.9, like it's like 99% that you're going to die and they're going to bring you back. They already know this. But instead yeah. of freaking us out, out in the waiting room, he waited till the end and said, Hey, look, this is what happened, but he's totally fine. He was revived in under 30. It was like under 30 seconds. They had him back, you know, but he goes, I didn't want to oh, okay. panic you. I knew this was a high possibility, but I didn't want to panic you guys, which was awesome. I appreciate that beyond belief, you know? Yeah. So fast track to six months. You know, my brother's great. Never had to go through chemo, never had to do radiation, nothing like that. It was gone. Great. So I end up keep going through my tests. They did brain scan. I have the same cyst, but it hasn't attached. So I just get it checked every couple of years now. Um, mm -hmm. Not a great big deal, but um, I go get ready. I journeyed out, took my test, March, 2017, happiest day of my life. It was like the huge stress relief and <clears throat> called the doctor up and was like, Hey, let's schedule this. Let's just get it done. I'm like, I already got my card. If, you know, if they wanted to fire me, they would have fired me by now, you know, like being sarcastic, yeah. but it's like, dude, I don't care about probation at this point. I don't care about my six months of probation. And I had, and I had great bosses that are like, who they're like, don't worry about probation. Go get your, go get your stuff taken care of. So I was like, let's schedule it. So that was uh, this day was probably one of the worst. So we drive mm -hmm. to Arcadia. My doctor, I was, it was on New Year's Day, 2018, January 1st. We're having a little party at my mom and dad's house. And I'm in the back bedroom, which was the guest bedroom for my wife and I, because we were spending the night down there. And I'm not feeling good. I'm like, I'm looking at the wife. I don't feel right. I'm lightheaded. I'm dizzy. And I suppose I passed out. So my wife calls my doctor who was great. He, he gave us his personal cell phone number. He's like, call me if there's ever an issue. Cause we were supposed to have surgery like two months later. <laughs> and my, uh, my wife calls him. He's like, Hey, get to Arcadia hospital right now. And he goes, I know you're in your Belinda, but I need you to drive to Arcadia. So I was like, all right, cool. I drive to Arcadia hospital. And dude, it was, it sucked, bro. I was in the waiting room for two hours and this guy comes out. And dude, one of the nicest guys, and he could see me, he goes, dude, you don't look good. And he didn't work there. Yeah. But he goes, you don't look good. Do you mind if I put my blood pressure cuff on you? I'm like, no, go ahead. And I didn't realize this. I'm down to 27 beats per minute. And I'm, I couldn't stand up on my own will. And he takes the blood pressure cuff off. He goes, I'll be right back. And he run and ran into the hospital. Well, long story short, this guy was a re I, and I can't remember his name, but he found out later on that he had had heart surgery six months prior at this hospital, but he had done a bunch of videos, uh, music videos and recording for a bunch of main star rappers. Mm -hmm. And he's all, and his last things to me before we would, um, so I'll, they're running in, the nurses are running outside. I'm outside trying to get fresh yeah. air with my wife and the nurse are running outside. And as they're trying to help me up, cause he's like, you need to get him in a bed now. And he goes, let me pray for you. I was like, I appreciate that. And so he prayed with me real quick. So we get in the back. And yeah. <laughs> I remember these nurses, they're trying to get me to lay down. I'm like, no, you need to let me walk. And my wife is on the phone with my doctor. And my doctor goes, put me on speaker. And he's like, listen to him. You need to let him walk. That's the only way you got to force him to walk. 
Cause I knew that was the only way I can get my heart rate up, but I need somebody to help me walk. Cause I just didn't have the energy. I couldn't lift my body up. And so yeah. doctors come in, they're like, you know what? We, we talked to your doctor, we understand, but we can't do the surgery that you need done. So I go, what do I need to do? So my doctor's still on the phone. He goes, sign yourself out and drive to Pasadena medical center right now. So I get back in the car called my mom up, told them what was going on. My mom's like, don't worry about it. We got the kids. And she's like, just let me know as soon as you find something. So we get to Pasadena um, hospital and that uh, my doctor was able to transfer into Pasadena. He, I became his patient. So he comes in, it's probably about two o'clock in the morning by the, at this time, he's like, how are you feeling? I'm like, dude, I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm hating it. I need something. So he gives me an IV bag. I soaked up the IV bag in under like, it was like five minutes. And he goes, okay, wow. you're majorly dehydrated. Let's give you another one. I'm like, all right, cool. So I'm feeling a little bit better. The next day, um, they're doing some more tests. And my insurance at the time had sent two doctors in. Mm-hmm. And the doctor comes in and I'm like, who are you? And he goes, oh, well, we're a doctor from the insurance company. And after watching it, they're like, we think you're kind of, are you making this up? And yeah. so, oh, oh, dude, I, I'm telling you, I had some words and I, I, I couldn't get yeah. it out because my wife decided to say it for me. And so she tells him, get the F out of the room. She's like, leave now. So yeah. the next morning, my doctor comes in and he goes, dude, I'm nervous. And we had a really, we had a really close relationship because of everything that had gone on. And he go, and I go, what's wrong? And he goes, dude, I'm scared. I've never, mind you. The pacemaker that they, so you have two types of pacemakers now, but traditional pacemakers are a battery pack with leads that come inside the heart. A lot of times you can see it on the outer chest. Yeah. The reason I, they, he didn't want to do that was Europe had a pacemaker at the time that's the size of a AAA battery and it's skinnier, but what they do is through your groin, they make an incision in your main blood vein and they push it in, into your heart. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to put that one in in me because I could still do my job with the traditional. I had to walk away from my job and he goes, I don't want you to walk away from your job. So the morning of surgery, he's telling me how nervous he is. And again, my insurance calls my wife and goes, Hey, um, well, we're not going to pay for this. And my doctor, my doctor looks at my wife and I forget, he goes, let me see the phone. And he goes, if you contact my patient one more time, the hospital's going to see you and then we're going to help them see you and they're going to be they're going to be richer than rich. Don't call them again, don't bug them. And he get hangs up the phone. And so I looked over at a doctor and I'm like, "Hey, if I was your son, what would you do?" And he looked at me and dude, I'll never forget this look in his eyes. He goes, "We're going into surgery. I'll see you in 20 minutes." So he leaves. <laughs> and that yeah. that and I get his point because like he said, I was the youngest person he'd ever done this to. Like he's like, dude, most of my patients I put a pacemaker in are fifties, sixties, seventies. He goes, Dude, you're thirty years old. Like I Yeah. This is hard for me, you know, and I get it. I get it. But that question is the only thing that popped in my head was that question. If I was your son, what would you do? And it was like there was no question about it, you know? And so Yeah. Dude, and trust me, I was nervous, but I was like, if this fixes it, I'll do it, you know? Yeah. And so what was cool, the, the, the most important thing I learned that day was one, how much I appreciate that God put that doctor in my life, but two, 
the coolest thing I learned was if a doctor and the head of the hospital deem quality of life, they can override any, any insurance. And I didn't know that wow. until that day. So by him doing that, the head of the hospital got involved and I never got a bill from insurance. Now here's wow. the funny part. Do you want to know why insurance went, was, was doing it? A traditional no. pacemaker costs $2,500. My pacemaker costs $10,000. Wow. They were complaining over $7,500. Now you tell me how much money we spend on insurance monthly. Yeah, I've already exactly. paid for all that. You know, yes. I paid more than that. And you're going to complain to me over $7,500? Like, really? <laughs> I'm the wow. one who's dealing with this. I'm the one passing out. I'm the one making my wife worry, trying to explain to my kids, you know, what, yeah. why daddy doesn't have the energy to play or anything, you know? So, yeah, it was a, it was just a very stressful time. So, I'll... I got back. Um, I went, um, like I said, it was, it was, it was, a with my pacemaker. So the way it works is inside your heart, you have little whiskers. Well, on the outside of my pacemaker are these little prongs that stick out. And so for three weeks, mm -hmm. I couldn't sleep on my back. I have to sleep sitting up. So, and what they want is they actually want those whiskers. What they'll do is they'll actually attach around it and they'll actually hold it. So it'll stay in me forever. I'll have to have another surgery yeah. probably in the next, um, three to four years to have another one put in, but this one will always stay there. So once that battery dies, it stays in there. They'll never remove it. And they'll just put another one in. Um, wow. But yeah, so I, I, for three weeks, I couldn't lay down. It, it was tough. I stayed, we, we ended up uh, moving out of our apartment in Glendale. We moved into my mom and dad's house and uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I was like, it was, it was weird. So it took, Mind you, it took three years later to actually get my pacemaker set right because my average heart rate without a pacemaker was anywhere between 40 to 45 for average. Yeah. Which is normal 60 to 90 for most people. So mine yeah. was already always low. Uh, but I mean, now I have it set where if it drops below 55, it kicks in and I 99% of my symptoms are gone now. And I thank God for that, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, um, I, I finished all that, got healthy, um, went back to work and I'll never forget this phone call because my dad called me and it was about, I was driving to LA from Yorba Linda. I was going to the central central yard of LA and my dad calls me about, I think I left the house. I want to say about four 30 usually. So it was about 5am. And I'm like, dude, my dad's calling me at 5 a.m. That's weird. My dad wasn't retired at this time. And all he said was, hey, I can't talk. But if you need money, I'll give it to you. But quit your job, please, and go work somewhere else. And I was like, hmm. what? And I was kind of thrown off guard because my dad, my dad being the, the, the cop and the, and the military, you don't quit. You don't, you know, he had that military attitude of what you do, you set out and do it and you never quit. And that yeah. was weird for me. So I, I didn't even hesitate when he hung up. I called my mom. I'm like, hey, mom, what's going on with dad? And your mom's like, your brother had surgery. He almost lost him. He almost lost you. He doesn't want to lose a kid. My mom And my mom reiterates. She's like, if you guys need money, we'll help you out. But And I'm like, I don't need money. I'm like, you know, and I was kind of thrown off guard. And I remember walking to the phases office that day. And I said, mm -hmm. with, you know, with no hesitation, I'm like, I got to quit. I'm like, this isn't worth it. I got to quit. I, and it, it was like one of those things where it's like, I knew that my family was more important than the job. Yeah. And so, you know, and so I, 
I had, my wife likes to say that I'm a persistent person, which I guess in some ways I am. I had been in contacts with Edison for about a year to the point mm -hmm. HR knew me by name. It was funny. Like I would start talking, they would go, hi, Steven. I'm like, hi. And so <laughs> at that time I was like, um, there's a lady working down there and we become really good friends. And she, I called her up and said, Hey, I just quit my job. I put my two week notice in and she goes, all right. She goes, we got a testing date in three weeks, put your application in. I'll put you on the test for the testing date. I'm like, all right, cool. So I ended up working at Santa Ana yard. Great yard. I love that yard. It was a 90% contracting yard. And I say contracting yard because 90% of the guys that came um, to that yard were from contractors. So it was yeah. great. I mean, and they were cool because when I walked in, I said, look, I've only worked overhead. I've never worked underground. I'm like a newbie. And they loved, they loved that because I was honest about it. I'm like, I'm not going to tell you I know how to do something if I don't know how to do it. I would yeah. rather you know like, hey, and I still as a journeyman. I respect when guys say, hey, I've never done this. And I'll tell you, if I've never done it, I, I'm going to call the guys that I trust. They, I've got their numbers. And I call them and say, hey, dude, I've never done this. Can you help me out? Can you figure this out? I've called my old phase at two o'clock in the morning on a trouble call being like, hey, dude, I cannot figure out what's going on. So mm -hmm. they they got me through underground, which was awesome. They they helped me out a lot. And then my wife said, hey, I want to be a nurse, which was kind of a shock because for the longest time, that's not what she, you know, she never said anything. And I think a lot of the medical stuff I went through kind of pushed her that way. And she goes, I want to go to nursing school. And so with Edison, it was like, I talked to my FS and I'm like, Hey dude, I, I can't keep working the schedule. Cause I was, I mean, for the two years I was there, I mean, we were working seven days a week, practically there was, you know, a lot of times yeah. you're gone on storm and stuff. I mean, it was fun stuff, but my wife wanted to go to nurse school. And so my phase goes, Hey, why don't you, why don't you apply to Riverside? So I was like, Hmm, I'll look into that. So, and I was kind of hesitant about going back to municipality. But yeah, I was like, yeah, why not? So applied to Riverside and my wife got into nursing school and it helped out tremendously. And I've been there ever since. It's been a great change. I've been there five years. I, I love it. It's a great company to work for. I, I've enjoyed mm -hmm. it. I mean, the guys are good. They're, um, it's a small company. It's, I want to yeah. say there's only maybe 40 journeymen to, uh, no, less than that. We got to be, no, 20, we got 25. I think we're down to 25 journeymen total. So everybody knows everybody, you know, which, yeah. which is a blessing and a curse as I'm sure, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Without getting into too many, I'm sure you understand what I mean by that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely understand that. Um, the cool thing though, is that you're able to transition from this place to this place to this place and your skill was transferable each and yeah. every place you went, you know? So and, yeah, that, that's, that's really cool to see that. And that's the nice part. I mean, like I tell guys, I'm like, dude, the card will take you a lot of places. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the nice fortune part. If you get, you know, I mean, I, there's things I won't be able to do. I can't, I mean, I, I don't think I could ever go work transmission off a helicopter because of my medical stuff, which is fine. I'm okay with that. I mean, mm -hmm. I'd love to go do it again. I mean, I'd love to, hang off a helicopter and do all that transmission stuff. But I just can't, you know, I know my limitations now and that's okay. And, but God's still provided this whole time. Yeah, no, for sure. God's always faithful, you know, no matter what, even when we're not faithful, you know, mm -hmm. um, I heard you say something that was really interesting to me, Steven, 
mm-hmm. talked about having the energy or, or not having the energy to play with your kids, right? Yeah. How are you now with them, like to be able to run around with them and, <laughs> and play with them or whatever, you know what I mean? Whatever they need, you know, I, I know they're older in age now, but uh, yeah. how do you feel? Like, dude, it, it's night and day. I mean, um, so I cook, my son does um, club hockey. He's a uh, part of the junior rain program. He's on a 14 mm-hmm. U um, ice hockey team. He just turned 12 and he plays 14 U full checking. I'm actually, one of the assistant coaches, which is awesome. And I skate with them wow. on the ice, things that I thought I, you know, took for granted. My daughter rides horses. I've ridden horses with her. I mean, we, we wakeboard together. We, you know, go to the desert, raise a ride together. I mean, it's, it's nine day. I mean, you know, like, like mm-hmm. I said, there was moments where I thought, all right, God, if I, if this all gets taken away and that's a question that is hard, it's hard to answer I think as a human is if you lost everything, could you still thank God for it? And I think that's mm. the one thing. And I remember, I remember myself when, when my brother was and my brother had his brain tumor and stuff and all that stuff. And it was like quick. And I kept that question, you know, um, I think it's a song by casting crowns where he says, um, um, even if it's the song, even if, yeah, and it's, that song's about his son. If I remember, um, not cast the crowns is mercy me, even if, um, but it talks about the fact of, even if you don't take this away and his son has this rare disease, he goes, even if you don't take this away, I'll still love you. And, and he's talking about his relationship with God. And that's a hard thing to do is like, all right, God, even if you take this away, I'll, I'll still, I'll still love you. I'll still, I'll still serve you. And it's like, that question's popped up in my head a million times. Even when I was going through my stuff is like, dude, if I lose this, how am I going to provide for my family? What am I going to do if this doesn't, you know, I mean, and those questions still arise. I mean, because I've had doctors that have told me like, Hey, if the next surgery, we, if you don't get this, because right now I'm on 75% usage per day. So my pacemaker goes Mm -hmm. off more than 75% of the time. So I'm pretty much almost reliant, reliant on this to stay up with energy. And I, had a call, uh, you know, because I moved and transferred to the other doctors, I've had certain doctors look at me and say, Hey, if this doesn't, if this is the way you're going to be, we might as well put a traditional on you. And my wife is my, I give credit to my wife because she's the fighter. She was like, Hey, if they don't want to do it, we'll cancel insurance. We'll find another insurance company. And we'll find a doctor that'll do it for you. You know, because th- yeah. that that's a real, you know, and does it does frighten me. It's like, dude, I don't want to go under surgery. I know that every six to eight years I have to have another surgery with this one, you know, and it's it's nice, yeah. the quality of life. But, yeah, it's also nerve wracking. It's like, man, dude, every time they cut me up and I'm like, all right, here we go, you know. Yeah. Or, or every doctor's appointment, I'm like, all right, what are they going to tell me? How much battery percentage do I have left now? It's like, yeah. it's, it's nerve wracking, you know. Oh, I, I bet, man. I'm every time they open you up, I mean, that's your cavity being opened up. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's that's crazy, man. I'm, I'm sorry that you have to experience that. You know, man. But uh, you know, it's open doors that I never thought. Um, I don't, I don't tell a lot of people, and the, I, and it's you know until I get to know you with the work I do. I'm very open. Like when I started Riverside, that first um, safety meeting. I just told everybody, I was like, hey, look, this is what I have. Defibrillator, you can put it on me. Most likely it won't register. It's going to not, it's not going to allow you to go off. Um, 
but just so you know, I have a medical card in my wallet. So if something ever happened, just give it to EMS, let them know it's right mm -hmm. here behind my ID. I mean, you know, and so it, in that aspect, yeah, it's, you know, I mean, it, it's cool. Cause I don't got to worry about it, but it's like, I don't, when I meet you, I'm not like, Hey, my name's Steve. I got a pacemaker. So it's like a lot of people don't know. So it's funny when I yeah. get reactions, like people find out, like, I didn't realize like one of uh, what I consider one of my good for uh, best friends. I mean, he's like, dude, I never realized you had a pacemaker until now. And I'm like, <laughs> you just like, I never, he's like, you never told me. I never thought about it. And we became friends like six years ago. Our kids started playing together, but I just never mentioned it. I'm like, you know, yeah. I don't want people to think I've got, it's like my, my son, my son doesn't like telling people that he's colorblind. He, mm -hmm. and he's a hockey player. And I had to tell him finally one day, sit him down. Cause he's getting frustrated with his coach. And I'm like, Braden, did you tell your coach you can't see those colors, the lines on the, on the paint? And he goes, no. And I go, well, how do you expect him to understand? You can't expect him to not get frustrated when he's trying to explain something to you when you don't even understand what he's saying. He can help you if you tell mm -hmm. him. And then his coach like, Braden, why didn't you tell me? I could have been helping you this whole time. And my son yeah. plays defense. And it's funny, dude, that kid can't see color, but he knows where the lines are without, no, without seeing mm -hmm. the color. Like, and dude, his coach is fully impressed with it. It's like, you know, but yeah, I think it's been a blessing. I mean, I've had even guys on the, on, on Instagram. I had, I met this guy back East who was having similar problems, but not to the extreme I was, but, um, he had actually had a heart defect where they actually had to put, they were going to put a pacemaker in him. And he's like, what'd you do? And I said, dude, the first thing you got to do is you got to be an advocate for yourself. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is a lot of times we're, we're just, we're almost pushovers when it comes to like the medical field. It's like, and I, I've become the opposite. I'm like, no, I'm not taking that. It's got X, yeah. Y, and Z. And I don't want that stuff in my body. I don't drink caffeine anymore. And a lot of this stuff I learned from that doctor. Cause he tried, he's like, Hey, Let's try no, no caffeine for like, and, um, for like, I think we start off with three months and after three months, I'm like, I don't even want caffeine anymore. And when that yeah. didn't work, he's like, all right, let's try something else. I, and I don't drink anymore. I mean, and so I haven't drank alcohol in over 10 years. I, I don't, wow. I don't, I haven't had caffeine, no sodas, no sh nothing. I drink water. I'll have a lemonade here and there, but other than that, like I had no sodas, um, decaf mm -hmm. coffee. And that's got what, like maybe 1% caffeine in it, but it's like not, it can't affect me. But if you were to give me some yeah. caffeine now, like I've had, I've had um, like where my daughter ordered a drink and she thought she ordered root beer that was caffeine free. And I had a small sip of it. And I was like, I knew right away. I'm like, no, nah, that has caffeine in it. Like, it's weird. Like my heart can like feel it. So, wow. you know, and what does it do when it, like, when you like, say, if you were to take that, like, this is just like, uh, what happens to you? No, nothing really happens happens bad it's just my heart my my heart monitor goes off which kind of tells me like all right something's it like because all of a sudden it'll get with caffeine your your body reacts to the energy the and it jolts it so it's like all of a sudden my heart thinks my heart uh, my pacemaker thinks my heart's getting jolted and so it oh, can okay. throw it off a little bit and so you know but luckily i haven't had any major scares like that but I mean, yeah. a sip or two, I mean, I can tell pretty quickly. It's like, oh, yeah, all right. That's not what I thought it was. Well, I knew pacemakers were intricate, but man, there's there's a lot to those things. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I was I was one of the first ones in California to have the one I had put in. It's now being more and more uh -huh. predominant. But um, yeah, 
you're and that that's the thing that's something too not to talk crap on the u.s but we are behind on the medical field by about 10 years and a lot of people don't realize yes. that they think we're above we're not places like europe and even mexico i hate saying that mexico is doing some great things not uh, um for like cancer patients mm-hmm that are not with radiation. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, we pump radiation, which is a poison in our body. Like, and I yeah. get it, but it's, it's almost like saying do two wrongs to make a right. It's like, I don't yeah. know, you know? <laughs> and my wife being, a, my wife's a hospice nurse and you know, we, we've talked about it. And it's like a lot of this medication, it's sad. I mean, it's like, dude, there are other alternatives that don't de- deteriorate your body. And I got a form, like, like one of my foremen, he drives every couple weeks to Mexico for his treatments for cancer. I mean, mm-hmm. and that guy, you look at him, he doesn't look like he's got cancer. Yeah. I mean, he has days where he's tired, but he doesn't look all beat up from radiation. Cause he goes, I don't want that stuff in my body. And there's alternatives. Exactly. And I tell people that all the time, dude, find a doctor that's willing to fight for you. Find a doctor that's willing to try everything. Cause a lot of the doctors that I, I quit seeing were the ones that were like, well, let's try a blood thinner. Let's try um, a blood, uh, you know, a high blood pressure medicine. I'm like, no, I don't want that. I don't want to be taking a pill for 35 years, 40 years until I die. No, thank you. Yes. Like that's not no. a quality of life to me. Absolutely you know? not. And big pharma, they push that stuff so mm-hmm. they could continue to fill their pockets. You know, they have no care about the consumer no. at all, which no, kind of blows my mind because if the consumers are dying, yeah. Who do you have left? You know what exactly. I mean? It's kind of counterproductive, but uh, we gave up on Western medicine as well. Um, my wife and my son both came down with uh, Lyme disease. Yeah. And uh, they kind of told us the same thing. Oh, you, you know, it's MS, it's this and that. Yeah. They diagnosed her with all kinds of different crazy stuff. And we finally stopped that and we, we went to a, another doctor who was willing to advocate for us and Sure enough, man, once they tested her, they were like, dude, you got Lyme disease, you know? And, um, yeah, fortunately it was a, it was a, a a long road. We're still battling it. Uh, this happened in 2018. So, you know, we're still in the fight too, you know? Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's kind of like the COVID stuff. We don't know the effect that our kids are going to have. 20 years from now, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's the same thing. It's like all the stuff we've taken, we don't know the effects that we're going to have, you know? No. It's, 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 and that's one, you know, not to get on that subject, but that's one of the reasons why I never gave my kids that shot. I was like, my wife and I are like, no, (laughs) you can kick our kids out of school. Nope, nope, no. There's no way I'm putting something that you don't even know what's in it in my kid's body. You know, that's part of the reason why we homeschool our kids, you know? So yeah. I'm like, I don't even like the school systems anymore. I mean, yeah. the, the school <laughs> systems have gone down the drain. I mean, it's not what it used to be. No, so. for sure it isn't. You know, but uh, thank you, Steve, for coming on our show, brother, and just sharing your amazing story and what it is that, and all the challenges you've had to overcome. Um, I appreciate you and your honesty and your courage to come on here, man. No, I, I appreciate it, brother. And it was a great time talking with you. Absolutely. Well, once again, this is David from the Show Up Dad. Um, please tune in to our next episode coming up again. Tune into this episode and leave us a comment, man. And you can follow us at www.theshowupdadfoundation.org. Once again, thank you. Hey, God bless, brother. <laughs>